Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. My subject today is how to kill your giants. Chapter 17, of course, is talking about the uh, battle between David and Goliath. And everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. It's by far the most well-known, probably, event in King David's life. As a child, maybe your mother, like mine, had a big, huge Bible called the Children's Bible. I didn't know there was a different Bible, but this was the Children's Bible, illustrated. And, of course, the biggest story in there was David and Goliath, and I could still remember the illustrations to this day. As we got older, you know, the story, what once was a children's story, is now became sort of a sports story when I got to be a teenager. You know, it's the classic story of the underdog, you know, the little guy against the big guy. It's the story of going up against impossible odds and winning. We use it as a sports metaphor. When anybody plays Coach Saban in the Crimson Tide, they're going against the giant, and whoever they go against is the little guy in the mind of the uh, sportscasters, you know, Tom Brady, (laughs) the same thing, he's the giant, and the other person is the David. When you think about it, when you went through school, that bully, you know, that beat you up for your lunch money, you know, that was the giant, that was the Goliath, and you wished you could be the David and slay him. So everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, you know, the story you can overcome, you can win, you can succeed, But now, when I think about that story in everyday life now, you know, we have some giants we battle in normal life. You know, I've got a I've got a big mortgage at home. That's a big giant in my eyes. You know, there's inflation. You know, it's just getting worse and worse. It's the big giant. You may have that big bill that's hanging over your head. Gas prices are the big Goliath in our life. I need to lose that 20 pounds. I mean, it just won't go away. That's the big giant. How do I get out of there? You know, you try to, you know, strengthen yourself. I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. I can use. So we sort of use the story of David and Goliath as self-motivation. We use it like for self-help, you know. So that's how we sort of use it. All those things I talked about is true. But, you know, I want to ask you this question. How do you read the Bible? How do you read especially the Old Testament that we're in. Is this just sort of like history, you know, that we're reading? Is the story of David and Goliath, is this a story just to entertain children? Some people read the story of David and Goliath and uh, Jericho and Jonah the big fish, and they read it the same way that they would read the story of Goldilocks. There's a difference, of course. Goldilocks is made up. All those other things are absolutely true. Is the story of David and Goliath just good for a sports metaphor? Is it just a story about the little guy against the big guy and it's supposed to give us some motivation in life? Is it about self-help and self-motivation? Or does it have a deeper meaning for us? You know, there's a couple of ways. There's more than 
couple of ways, but there's a couple of ways in which we usually read the Old Testament, if we're going to dig a little deeper. First of all, we sort of read it as the historical uh, ethical, you know, we'll read the Old uh, Testament stories and we'll use them and, and say, how can I apply that in my life? How can I make that application or what the characters are going through or the lessons they learn? How can I apply that in my daily life? Or then we can go a lot deeper to the real issue, and that's not the historical ethical, but it's the historical redemptive. See, because this Bible I'm reading, by the way, David's a good template to use to preach the gospel because 66 chapters were written about him in the Bible. 66 chapters. How many books do we have in the Bible? 66 books. How many verses deal with David. Over 2,000 verses deal with David. And plus, he wrote most of the Psalms. So David is a major, major figure, not in the Old Testament, but this whole Bible. But this Bible itself is wondrous. It's 66 books. It's written by 40 different authors on three different continents, written over a period of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Yet it's all about one person. It's all about one subject. It is giving us one message. 66 books, 40 different authors, three different continents, hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's one message. And what's that message? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the story of redemption. And the story of David and Goliath is no different. It's no different. From Genesis to Revelations, it's one story. It's the story of redemption. So I'd like to look at David and Goliath in a little different way today. And I hope it's helpful to you. Now, if our problems are not natural, we just have problems that we encounter in life that are natural. And they entail natural solutions to those natural problems. But sometimes we have supernatural problems. The Bible tells us that the issues we face in life, in fact, I would dare say the majority of issues you face as a child of God are supernatural in origin. Did you know that giants are not natural? How tall was Goliath? He was uh, six cubits in a span. People that calculate that sort of stuff said he was in between nine and ten and a half feet tall. How many people have you met in your daily life are nine and a half or ten and a half feet tall? I would dare say not many or zero. So giants are not natural. They're not normal. And that's the reason some people don't believe your Bibles because they've never, you know, met a giant. But they did exist. In fact, we're first mentioned in Genesis chapter six, and we talk about giants there. And then we go on to Joshua, and we talk about the Malachites and there was, you know, giants in the land, the spies said. And what were the uh, job of the giants? And take mental note of this, if not a written note. The job of the giant is trying to keep God's people from the good things in life that God wants for them. Giants are trying to block our way to the promises of God. That's the job of giants. And that's the reason David killed the giant. Do you want to know how to kill the giants in your life? 
Giants are real. I haven't met any nine and a half or ten and a half feet giants, but my friends in my life, in the year 2022, there are still giants. And they are not natural. They are supernatural. And they oppose me. And they are trying to block me and they're trying to block you from the good spiritual things in life and the promises of God. They're there to give you trouble. And what is your job? Your job and your title is giant killer. Just like David. We have the face things in this life that sometimes don't make sense. Because we're, you know, we're sort of black and white people. We, we don't see it. We don't believe it generally, you know, except we're in church. We, <laughs> then we believe in the spiritual. But in normal, everyday life, some things we just can't figure out. And sometimes that's because these things, these issues that we face are not natural. And they don't retail natural solutions. They are, in fact, supernatural and you have to go to the Bible in order to find these supernatural solutions to these supernatural problems. See, in reality, we have fought giants, whether you know it or not. We are fighting giants, and we will fight giants, whether you know it or not. So my prayer is that we start looking at our problems a little differently, because sometimes the solution to our problems are a little different. And sometimes our problems are a mix. Sometimes they're natural problems, but they're mixed with supernatural. And we don't discount that evil nature of this problem or issue we are facing. So, not all problems have practical solutions. And the truth is this, that there is good and evil, that there is light and darkness, that there is God and Satan. Some people want to deny Satan and hell, but God is real and Satan is real. And hell is a real place. And there are natural things and there are evil supernatural things in high places. In fact, turn over to James chapter 4 and we're going to discover, James tells us, there are three enemies that we face. I like to know who I'm fighting, don't you? First thing is to identify the enemy. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. This is the problem that he was talking to, God's people scattered, these church people, he's saying, you have wars because you have infightings. You ask and receive not because you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your lusts. And here he's going to identify our three enemies. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Lust is an internal enemy. We read about that in James chapter 1, verse 15. And now he tells us our second enemy, what's the world? The world is our enemy. And whoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but giveth grace unto the humble. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it says our three enemies are what? The flesh, the world, and Satan. What's the flesh? The flesh is the internal enemy. What's the world? The world is our external enemy. And who is Satan? Satan is our infernal enemy. Our internal enemy, external enemy, and our infernal enemy. All three enemies are real. Sometimes we like to focus on the flesh and the world. But Satan, my friends, is our enemy. In fact, Satan influences all three enemies altogether. And we see that in Matthew chapter 4. If you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 4, you remember that Matthew chapter 3, it's a high point in Jesus Christ's life. He gets baptized by John the Baptist and the audible voice of God, this is my son whom I am well pleased, the spirit in bodily form comes down and lights upon him. It's a real mountaintop experience. And this is a lesson for us. Every time you have a mountaintop experience, Satan's going to be waiting there to bring you down to the valley. And you're going to see all three enemies here. How many temptations did Satan tempt Jesus with? Three, right? You're going to see that one of them has to do with the flesh, one of them has to deal with the world, and one of them has to do with Satan himself. But who's doing the tempting? All three times, it's Satan. So Satan's influence is all over all three of our enemies, as you'll see. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward was unhungered. So his flesh, his flesh was hungry, his internal enemy. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made of bread. He, but he answered and said it. This is how Jesus responded to Satan. It is written, it is written, here's the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Second temptation, verse 5. Then the devil taketh him to holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Here's the world, brothers and sisters. Here's the world. It saith him, Thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, Thou shalt give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. How was Jesus Christ fighting this giant? As you notice, once again, He's using the word of God. That's the weapon. He doesn't use a bazooka, Abram's tank, or he doesn't use a rifle, a knife. He uses the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And finally, we have the temptation that is of the devil himself. Verse 8, again, the devil taketh them up to an exceeding high mountain, showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto them, all the things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. What happened to the giant? Then the devil leaveth him. So James was right. Resist the devil and he'll flee from thee. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. This great temptation was very tempting because what Satan was saying to Jesus, he's saying, you know, the three and a half years of ministry is in front of you. It's going to be hard, terribly hard. You're not going to have a place to sleep but call your home. You know, the foxes have their holes, the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay. You're going to be homeless for three and a half years. You're going to go constant suffering and name-calling 
and rejection and everything else, even from your own disciples and apostles. And then you're going to have to go to the mock trial and you're going to have to be beat and spit upon and they're going to nail you to a cross and you're going to have to suffer and die and God himself for a time is going to turn his back on you. All that you can avoid. You can skip all that if you'll just fall down and worship me and I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. And how does Jesus respond? It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the flesh, the world, and Satan, Jesus resisted the devil and he fled and he resisted him and he fought him with what? The sword of the spirit. Let's turn to another. You don't mind me reading scripture. This is church, right? <laughs> Let's go to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start with verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, this is Apostle Paul talking, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle. This is real. This is not just poetry. This is not just to fill up space. This is for you to read and understand. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against supernatural powers, principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. You understand? You need to stand. You need to stand. Withstand? Understand? Stand. Stand. In the stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the word. And above all, taking the shield of faith where we shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. And here it is, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How are we supposed to fight standing up, you know, our feet set? No, it says, this is how you're supposed to fight, praying on your knees. As Brother Piles once said, every part of the body is protected by this armor except for the shins. Why don't you need any protection for your shins? Because you're going to be down on your knees praying. He says, that's the position of war for you as a child of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication and spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with all saints. So, that I think that proves that we have supernatural enemies. We need to fight them with supernatural weapons and something that's going to be effective. And these are giants, my friends, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in high places. These are giants. David and the story of redemption will show you how to kill your giants. But so how do you kill your giants? I'm going to give you three steps. Number one. Number one is you need to identify, first of all, identify your giant. Identify your giant. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, first two verses. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shekoh. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So as you remember from the story, Saul is still king. David has been anointed king, but God is preparing him to be king by having him wait 20 years. He's 20, he's in preparation. One of the things that's going to prepare David to be king after Saul leaves 
is this battle with Goliath. So David is anointed. He's waiting in the wings, and he's still a youth. And so these two armies are on two hills. There's a valley in between, and they're going to fight each other. Verse 4, and there came out a champion. Here he comes, the heavyweight champion of the world, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, the tower of power. Here he comes, and he is going to strike fear in the hearts of all the Israel. He says, the champion came out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. We won't read all the things about Goliath, but as you will notice, there is very specific, detailed descriptions of this giant. A long description. The tip of a spear was 25 pounds. The amount of detail given is, is extraordinary. His height, his strength, he's able to carry 200 pounds of armor. His thighs are, big, thighs are bigger than you, uh, Harry. And his spear is like a weaver's beam. And also, this is the first time a giant is actually named. Uh, we talk about the sons of Anak, but this time, God and David identify the giant by name here. And that's important. You need to identify your giant by name. It's Goliath. First name, and then call them out. Whatever sin is opposing you, whatever issue is opposing you, if you will not call it out for what it is, you will never defeat it. You will never defeat what you don't define. You can write that down. You will never defeat what you won't define. If you just say something in general is bugging me, oh, I've got this problem, but it's not really a big problem. You know, I can handle that problem. You know, I don't, I'm not an addict. I'm not consumed. It's just a little, whatever sin is plaguing you, my friends, we have to name it. And that's what the Bible tells us. The first John chapter one, verse nine, it says, if we confess our sin, singular, you have to name it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you need to name your giant specifically. And in doing so, brothers and sisters, you automatically lessen the power it has against you. You know, if you're too general, a lot of people will not even think about specifically what's bugging them, what the sin is that's plaguing them. They'll just say, well, I'm just having a bad day. I'm in a bad mood. You know, so just something's off today. You know, they won't get introspective. They won't get circumspect about the situation. They say something's off. Something's maybe a little out of control. We need to call it for what it is. That's the first step in defeating our giants. But you say, wait, Brother Chris, I think I'm doing everything right. I, I read my Bible pretty regularly. I pray. I spend time with who I should be spending time with. I think everything in my life is controlled. But, you know, I just, I still feel a little off. I feel something's off. Well, that's the evidence that you're experiencing a spiritual warfare in your life. And that you need to look and see if there's something you need to mortify. I don't, and, and by the way, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna say this, I don't see demons everywhere. <laughs> I don't see, there's not a demon behind this plant ready to jump out and get me. 
You know, I, there's some people, you can get crazy about this. You know, my, my car wouldn't start one time when I was young and a fellow employee came and said, well, maybe it's a, a, a demon that's preventing your car. from." They laid hands on the hood of my car and started praying. I was looking at that. I think I just needed a spark plug. <clears throat> so you, you can get crazy with this stuff, but we can't discount scripture where it says, this, my friends, is a battle of the mind. It's a battle of the mind. The helmet of salvation. You don't have medical solutions and thank God for them. I'm standing before you as evidence of that. There's mental counselors that are helpful, but as the children of God, we need a physician of the soul. We need a doctor of our soul. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ. And he is the only one that can fight our battles and slay our giants, the world, the flesh, and Satan. There's giants, brothers and sisters, in our culture. We don't just have personal giants that we're dealing with, certain issues and sins that we're, that's plaguing us, that we maybe have tried so hard to get rid of, but we think we just cannot. But we have giants in our culture that we're dealing with, social movements, religious and non-religious. There's atheism. You know, it's really crazy. They, all the atheists I run into, they hate God. They hate somebody that doesn't exist in their minds. It's really, really funny when you think about it. They just have so much hate about somebody that doesn't exist. And everything in this life that has adherence is religious, whether they want to admit it or not. Everything, all these movements that we see around us are really pagan religions. And you know how I know they're pagan religions? Every time I see a pagan religion in the Bible, who are the real victims? It's the children. It's the children, isn't it? Bolak, it's the children. It's the children. If you want to know, it's, those are the big giants in our lives. Now, marriage is between male and female. We were walking along the golf course last night. Sister Lori said, yeah, I think it was her that said, you know, I was reading Genesis, and I wonder why it went into such detail. He said, this is a marriage between a man and a male and a female, and God made male and female. Why, why did he spend so much time on that? Because God knew that this day would happen, <laughs> that we would be in 2022. That's why he took so much time with it. I thought that was a great point. And also, brothers and sisters, we need to define our giants. We don't need to give them nicknames. Nicknames. It's not an alternative lifestyle. Name it for what it is. We are dealing with cultural Marxism in our lives. It's not democratic socialism. That's a fun little nickname that we use for something that is a tremendous, monstrous giant. No nicknames. And giants will frighten you, brothers and sisters. They will frighten you. It says that when the giant would come out, that Israel, how would they react? They would be so scared their knees would knock together. See, that is the job of the giant, to frighten you. See, that's what cancel culture is about. People will try to cancel you. Your friends, your associates will try to cancel you. And it's not because they're representing anything good. They just want to bully you into a certain belief. See, giants are bullies. And there's bullies in our lives. And we need to slay those giants. Giants defy God. They defy God. And it says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel. 
this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And you say, Brother Chris, it doesn't sound like he was defying God. It sounds like he was defying the armies of Israel, the children of Israel. I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you want to get at me, if you really want to hurt me, you'll go after my children. You, you'll hurt me by going after me, but you'll hurt me worse by going after my children. And that's what Satan is doing. He's going, he can't go after God. He's no match, but he will go against his children. Also, giants cause doubt. Giants cause doubt. Verse 23, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, once again, heavyweight champion of the world, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the arms of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The job of the giant is to frighten you and cause doubt in your mind, saying, I can't do it. Any thoughts in your mind that come in and says, I can't change. I can't escape. I was made this way. I'll always be this way. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too middle-aged to change. I just can't change. You know that everything is possible with God? Amen. That's what he tells us. And this is the lie that the giants want us to believe, is that we cannot change. But as we discussed in the first sermon, all of us can change. All of us can change in our attitudes and ask for repentance, and we all can change in our lives. See, God is the encourager of the brethren. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. So don't believe the lies. God will never tell you that you cannot change. So number one, we have to define our giants. We have to identify them. That's the first step to success. Number two, how to defeat the giant. Go to verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he, I love this word, he disdained him. I'm going to use that word sometime. I disdain you. He disdained him. That means he despised him. He regarded him with contempt. He thought he was worthless just by looking at this little ruddy shepherd boy. And that's the same way the giant looks at you. That's the same way Satan looks at you. you he disdains you. He looks at you as worthless. Yet you are worthless. There's nothing that doeth good. No, not one. But David won wars and battles because God fought them for him. See, you thought this story was about one hero and his name was David. The real hero in this chapter is the Lord God Almighty. That's the real hero because he gains the victory. So how do we defeat the giant? And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. Never look at yourself and say, I'm too little, I'm too old, I'm too weak, I'm too ready, I'm too young, I'm too experienced. It doesn't matter because the Lord is fighting the battle, right? And that's what David understood. And that's the reason David could be so bold. He could be so bold in knowing that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm no conqueror, I'm no warrior, but I'm more than a conqueror. Because Jesus Christ is fighting my battle. Look at verse 43. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And Philistine said to David, Come to me, I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword, and with the spear, and with the shield, and I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Boy, it's a little gangster in David, isn't it? He's gangster. Look at verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not. Listen to this. Saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Amen. Amen. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to me. David hasted. Note that. David hasted. He ran. He was fast. He didn't wait. He ran. And ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. And smote the Philistine in his forehead and the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. Notice how much detail was given to the giant. That's on purpose. To know how fearsome it is. How much detail does it list David's defeated giant? David reached in his bag, got a stone, slang it, and killed him. That's it. That's all he needed to do. And notice in verse 48, he ran to the battle. He didn't run from the battle. He didn't wait three weeks to engage in the battle while we had a council and had a committee and discussed this thing. He didn't wait around hoping that the giant would go away. That's what we want to do. There's a giant in our lives and we just wait around hoping it'll just go away on its own. You have to confront it and you have to face it. When you have troubles in your marriage, you have to confront it and face it. You have troubles in your family, with your friends, with your kids, you have to confront it. As Barney Five says, you got to nip it in the bud before it turns toxic. Now, if that's true in natural situations, how could it be any different in a spiritual setting? See, it says David dealt with it quickly. He didn't negotiate with the giant. He didn't have lengthy discussions with the giant. David killed the giant. And that's our business, brothers and sisters. We are not in the business of negotiating with giants. We are in the business of killing giants. Not us, but the Lord, our God. Our business is killing giants. Some people say, uh, well, I'm just really not ready. People say that in a lot of situations when they're you know, waiting to be a member of the church. I'm really just not ready. When they're confronting a giant or an issue, I'm just really not prepared. I'm not ready. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. You have to realize you're not fighting this battle on your own. It's the Lord's battle to win. David is not the hero of this story. Who got the victory? David was just obedient to God and got the blessings. You have to realize it doesn't belong to you. Your marriage does not belong to you. Your anger solution does not belong to you. Your weakness solution does not belong to you. Your indecision problem does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. David took a sling and he killed the giant and then beheaded him. The description 
was long of the giant, the description of the solution was short because it's the Lord's battle. Ephesians chapter 6, we have to put on the whole armor of God. And by putting on the armor of, not Chris, Taylor, but the armor of God, we will be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might so that we can stand. You know, when all this, these social issues were coming up, you know, these preachers on TV saying, we don't stand against these people, we walk with them. Well, the Bible tells us to stand, to stand, not to walk with our giants, to stand against them. We have to stand against power in high places. James chapter four, verse seven says, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the first thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. To stand against the devil is to stand with God. All these people on TV saying, you know, you know, smack the devil on the head, you know, kick the devil out of your house, flipping about it. Just let me tell you, the Bible is very clear that you are no match for the devil. I am no match for Satan. I have to get my big brother in on this. When you're the little guy at school getting pinked on by the bully, hopefully you got a big brother you can call on to help you out in that situation. And I have a, a friend that sticketh closer, closer than a brother. You're no match. So we fight on our knees. We pray. If this issue, the Lord in heaven, is supernatural, help me to correct it by correctly IDing it. And Lord, the battle is yours. The giant that will be slain will be because you slew him. Ephesians 6 tells me it's the word of God is my weapon. Matthew chapter 4 tells me it's the word of God that is my weapon. I need to ID my giant, but in order to defeat him, I need the word of God. So whatever your issue is, my friends, there's a scripture about it. Make it something that you will take into your life. Memorize it, meditate on it, pray on it, pray, pray it to God and act on it quickly as David did and slay your giants. The prayers of the saints availeth much because the riches in heaven are unlimited. He has an unlimited supply of grace. So walk in this life. Walk in this life with an open Bible in your hand. As the old preacher once said, if my Bible is open, God speaks to me. When my Bible is closed, God ceases to speak to me. So walk around with that open Bible. Realize, my friends, that a slain dead giant helps you. It does help you in your life. But more importantly, it gives glory to God. It gives glory to God, that slain giant. What's it all about? It's all about him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your God, which is in heaven. Who are the Israelites? Aren't they elect of God? Who are you? Aren't you the elect of God? That's what they represent in the story. They're the children of God. They were shaking and they were cowering when the champion, heavyweight champion of the world came out there and they were afraid. They ran. They said they ran from him when he came out. One man, even though he's a big man, he's just one man. He came out and they ran. Then David comes in, the little ruddy child, takes out a stone, kills the giant, and then takes his own sword, chops off his head. And then what does Israel do? Israel then floods in 
Why did David have five stones? You know this probably because Goliath had four brothers. Four plus one equals five. David didn't slay the other four brothers. The other four brothers were the, were the army. So by David slaying his giant, he then convinced the other Israelites that they could slay giants. They weren't afraid of one giant anymore. They weren't afraid of a whole army. They weren't afraid of a whole army plus four giants. And they went in and slew them until the buzzards were all over their dead bodies the next day. So Israel went after the giants because David showed them the way. Slaying your giants will give glory to God and also shows your brothers and sisters that it's also possible. And they will glorify your God in heaven as well. Once you kill your giants, you're encouraging your brothers and sisters to slay giants in their lives. Once you kill your giant, you can help others kill their giant. Number three, the last one, is to declare your victory over the giant. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And I, you have to use your imagination. You have to put yourself in the scene when this happens. David... Standing on top of this giant, this little boy, looks, he looks like a little kid compared to this big giant, takes his big, huge sword out, and he has to lift his head up, I guess, and he cuts off his head, and there he is holding the severed head of a giant. He's declaring victory over the giant in front of the children of God, the coup de grace, if you will. <laughs> Jesus, brothers and sisters, is our David. And Jesus is the real giant killer. You've heard of the Proto-Evangelium, but it's the first gospel. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy heel, but thou shalt, what, crush its head. He shall crush his head. This is telling us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate real giant killer. And I'll end with this. In Revelation 19, we see the great giant killer in action. He comes in riding on a white horse called Faithful and True. On, on his vesture and on his thigh is inscribed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And out of his mouth, a sword to smite the nations. And he slays the beast and he slays the false prophet and he slays the dragon, and he tosses them all into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ is the true giant killer. David was the little shepherd. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, and we can gain the victory because our giant killer on the cross said, it is finished. The battle is done. If you fight, you're fighting from the high ground. And I will crush your enemies in the end. And you can crush them in this life. And we can. We can, brothers and sisters. We can. Because we are victorious in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. Thank you. I heard an old, old story.